0: Well, good morning again. Great to be with you. Uh, Please have your Bibles opened at Psalm 82. um, yes. Now, Jesus is famous for many things. He's famous for his extraordinary life. And if you haven't read about the life of Jesus, if you actually haven't Uh, Read about this man for yourself. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe you're a visitor here today. Please grab hold of a Bible or ask your friend who brought you to give you a Bible so that you can read one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life for yourself because Jesus truly is remarkable. He's famous for many things. He's famous for his miracles, he's famous for his acts of compassion, he's famous for his wisdom and uh, his power. And the clarity of his parables and understanding. But he is also known for saying some things that are quite difficult. Jesus says some things that are quite difficult. I said Psalm 82, please open up at John 10. We will get to Psalm 82, but let's start at John 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus says these words... Uh, Sorry, some people say to Jesus, We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus has made this claim of divinity. And Jesus' answer to them is, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken... What about the one the Father has sent? Now, what does Jesus mean then? They ask him about, you know, you're claiming to be divine, and he says, well, you're God's. Sometimes Jesus says things that are not straightforward, doesn't he? And maybe that's how you found uh, reading some of the Bible. Sometimes we need to study deeply in the Bible to understand what it's saying. Jesus' answer comes from Psalm 82. Now, the Psalms are famous, for, uh, famous as being a book of devotion to God. And I'm sure many of you have used the Psalms as, as prayers to God. They're also famous for, um, uh, not just for, for devotion, but also for comfort. If we're in a, a difficult time, we can very often read a, a find a Psalm there and read a Psalm in which the Psalmist is likewise in a difficult time and cries out to God and pours out their heart. Of course, the Psalms are also a book of praise, and so we sing many of the Psalms, don't we? If you think about Christian music, there, there are Psalms that have just been put straight into uh, our collection of Christian songs. But what's also interesting is that the Psalms contain the deepest theology. They contain the deepest theology. They're not just books of devotion. It's It's not just a book of devotion or comfort or praise, but also the deepest theology about God. And when Jesus explains his divinity in the Gospels, he uses two Psalms. He uses Psalm 110 and he also uses Psalm 82. And so in today's talk, we're going to be thinking about the incarnation and understanding how is it that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. How does that work? We're going to be looking at one of the important foundations that we get from Jesus himself from Psalm 82. And as I said, sometimes you need to do hard work to understand the Bible, and that's what we're going to be looking at today in Psalm 82. So please come with me now back to Psalm 82. And let's look at the first verse, Psalm 82. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. Now, this is an interesting use of the word God here, isn't it? Uh, We also see it again in verse 6. I said you are gods. Normally, when the Bible uses the word God, overwhelmingly, when the Bible uses the word God, It's referring to the one creator, sovereign Lord of all. That's what it normally means when it refers to God. But here we have the word God being used for others. Well, who are these other gods? Who are these gods? Look at verse 2. How long, so this is now God on his throne speaking to these other gods, and he says, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Well, who are these other gods? These other gods are the ones who can show partiality who are meant to defend the rights of the poor and the oppressed. They're meant to rescue people. They're meant to bring justice. That is, these other gods are human judges. They are judges. And the question I think this brings us is, why would you call judges gods? Why would you call judges gods? Well, it has to do with the doctrine of the image of God, that God has made humanity in his image. As Tom read out to us before, the Bible begins with this statement about humanity. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what does it mean to be in the image of God? Does it mean that God has arms or legs? Well, no. As we've just read in Genesis, it means that humanity is firstly God's representative of his rule on earth. And so we just read, Let us make men in our image and let them rule. And so this is the first thing we need to understand of what it means to be human, that we are God's representatives. We are God's agents. The agency of God's rule in this earth uh, is through humanity. And so we're meant to bring glory to God by the way that we live and by bringing about his rule properly on this earth. We're also meant to display God's character. Uh, And this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, we we do this in different ways, don't we? So as I said, for humanity, altogether, we collectively uh, bring God's rule to this earth. But for the nation of Israel, they represented God's character in a different way. And so when you read in the Old Testament, Israel was told, be holy... As I am holy. And that's something that's repeated for the church as well. Now, what does it mean for us to be holy as God is holy? Well, that's part of being the image of God. God is a holy God. And as his image, as his people, we are to reflect who God is. I don't know if you've ever thought about that for yourself, but you can display the character of God to those who are around you. And you do. That's what a human does. A human reflects and displays And we're meant to reflect and display God's character. This is why the New Testament speaks about the holy life as godliness, being like God. Now, not all religions have this idea. So in Islam, uh, they don't have the idea of the doctrine of the image of God. And the Quran never says be like Allah, uh, be holy as uh, as Allah is holy. It doesn't have that same connection. So what we read Be holy as God is holy. That's something quite unique to to biblical religion. It's not something in other religions. And and just as a side point here, I want to encourage you in your holiness. I want to encourage you if you're struggling with sin, I want to say keep struggling with it and and seek help in that regard because as you live the holy life, as you speak the way God wants you to speak, as you treat people around you the way that you should treat them uh, in God's ways, then you're actually displaying God's character to this world. Our holiness is not just about our own personal goodness. It's about how we represent our great God as well. And if, if you're not a Christian, I want to say to you, um, you're made in the image of God. That's who you are. You are made in the image of God. And if you, if you really want to know how you should be living as a, as a, a person, if you want to know what it means to be living as a man or a woman, then I want to say, come back to your God. Because you are made in his image. And as you come to know your God, you will know how you should live. Now, the judges, of course, are different. We've seen how humanity represents God's rule in a certain way, how God's people represent God's rule in a certain way. But judges, judges also represent and display God in a certain way, don't they? As the image of God, because you see, God is our judge. God is our judge. God made us; He's our Creator. We owe our life to Him, but He is also our judge. He is the one to whom we will give an account of our life. And again, if if you're, you're not a Christian and you don't know who God is, I want to say, God is your Creator, and God is your judge. And so these judges are called gods because their particular godliness is to bring the justice of God to this world. They have a way of being godly in a way that most of us here, unless you're a judge, uh, in, in a way that most of us here don't have. Judges bring justice. They are meant to bring the true justice of God to this world. And so they are called gods in this psalm speaking to judges. And so let's just have a look at uh, what our judges are meant to be like. Look in verse 2. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? See, it's important that we have judges who, who act unpartially. Bribery is a significant problem in the world judicial system. And uh, and as our culture lets go of its Christian heritage and engages with other cultures which don't have that Christian heritage, bribery starts to become more influential. We need to be careful of that. It says, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. The judges are to make sure that the strong do not oppress the weak. They're meant to be the ones who stand up for the weak and the oppressed who don't have power. Judges are meant to have that role. They're meant to bring justice and, and to level the playing field when it comes to justice. Verse 4, they're to rescue the weak and the needy and to deliver them from the hand of the, of the wicked. See, judges are actually very important for us. We think about our government. We've just had an election in, uh, in Victoria and we've had our own elections here, we have our own federal elections, and we often think that the the, the game, the big game of running our country is in politics and with our politicians. Now, this is certainly true in terms of they have a significant role, but they're not the only people involved in what happens in our country. Our judges very often make the laws that our politicians follow. Our judges are very often the ones who are leading the way, particularly in the progressive agenda, and then the politicians are following these things. And so when we think about issues like divorce, uh, marriage, the, the character of marriage, so the whole character of marriage came out of legal discussion as much as it was political When we think about issues of of, uh, life and death and euthanasia, abortion, all these issues, these are intricately involved with our judges, probably even more so than they are with our politicians. See, judges are really important. And we contend as Christians to not think of them as, as important. This psalm is making clear that they're addressed as gods because of the position that they have in how they guide society and how, you know, how they represent God's rule. Now, of course, our, our judges, like any other institution, can have their corruption. But I want to say we need to be praying for our judges. We, ne- we should know who they are. We should be paying attention to that and praying for them and uh, seeking their good and seeking their, their godliness as we would for other leaders in our society. Because we see in verse 6, um, verse 5, they, they know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about. This is speaking about the people that the judges rule over. And it's saying, they know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. See, we need our judges. We need our judges to be bringing about these, uh, the, these laws for us. Then God says, I said, You are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere men, you will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for the nations are your inheritance. So the Psalm actually finishes with the failure of humanity. And it's saying that uh, the judges of this world have not judged in the world in the way they should have. And that there's a failure in humanity to bring the justice of God to this world. And so it finishes in verse 6 by saying, Rise up, O God, judge the earth. You know, calling for God to come and do it. We want God to come and bring his justice. We want the problem of human sin to be put aside and for the justice of God to come. Now that's Psalm 82. That's Psalm 82. We've done the work there. Let's now come to uh, John chapter 10 and see how Jesus uses this psalm when people accuse him. So, John chapter 10. So, let's look at the charge against Jesus. So, John chapter 10, we'll read from verse 29 to 33. Jesus says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you are me, man, claim to be God. So we see here, this is the charge against Jesus. And it looks straightforward, doesn't it? They say to him, uh, uh, sorry, Jesus is saying, I am one with the Father. I and the Father are one. And they say to him, you're just a man, and yet you're claiming oneness with God. You're blaspheming. You're claiming that you're God. The accusation against Jesus looks, uh, and is in one sense, straightforward. But let's have a look at Jesus' answer now. Verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Now that's Jesus' answer. Now I have to admit that when I was first reading this, it wasn't the answer I was expecting. It wasn't the answer I was expecting. Here they are speaking to Jesus and they say, you're claiming to be God. You're lifting yourself up as, as God. When you're a mere man, you're just a man and you're claiming to be God. But what is Jesus' answer? Because I was expecting Jesus to lift himself up. Isn't that what you are expecting? Jesus in some way to say, well, this is who I am. And so lift himself up to defend his divinity. Instead, what does he do? He actually lifts up humanity. He doesn't lift himself up at first, he doesn't later, but he lifts up humanity. So they say, you're just a man, you're a mere man. And he says, Doesn't the law say you are gods? Now what's going on here? Well, what's happening? And how does this answer the charge? Well, it's because they have underestimated what it means to be human. They're underestimating what it means to be human and they're underestimating what a human can do. We mustn't do this. You, you, now, people like uh, Muslims who say that Jesus is not God or the Jehovah's Witnesses who also deny it have a, have a reduced view of humanity. See, if we want to understand the incarnation and how Jesus is God, it's not just understanding the divinity of Jesus, it's also understanding what it means to be human. We've got to understand what it means to be human as much as we need to understand who Jesus is because Jesus becomes human. We also need to know this, of course, uh, for those of you who have children because your children may ask you, uh, how can Jesus be God? And we need to have some way of, of thinking about how we respond to them. So let's think about this doctrine of the image of God again. We saw that the doctrine of the image of God teaches us that humanity, that is, a man, can represent the rule of God. That's what it means. A human can represent the rule of God. Secondly, a human can display the character of God. That's what a human can do be holy, as I am holy. A human can display God's holiness. A human can display God's rule. And of course, a human, God made us to share in his glory, to eat from the tree of life, to be in his presence, to share in his glory. See, humanity is not a low thing. We're not just some meaningless accident in this universe that just evolved for no reason, and we're just here for, for, for no reason at all. We've been made by God to represent his rule, display his character and to share in his glory humanity is something don't just say you're just a mere man you can't just say you're just a mere man can you because of what humanity is i want to give you an illustration think about a piano got a piano over there now what is it that a piano does what is it that a piano can do well a piano it can play piano music and if someone knows what they're doing behind it and they get, get behind the keyboard, they can play amazing music, can't they? And allow the piano to do what it does. What is it that a human can do? If you think of a human as an instrument, what is the music that the human instrument is meant to play? Well, what a human instrument is meant to play is representing God's rule. That's what a human instrument's meant to play. A human instrument's meant to play displaying God's character and glory. That's what the human instrument's meant to play. But what The human instrument is meant to share in the, chari- uh, in, the, in the glory of God. That's what the human instrument is meant to play. You see, this, the, the doctrine of the image of God is an important foundation for understanding the incarnation. Because when God comes to us as a man... He is not coming in some random form. It's not some random, unrelated form. Instead, he's using a human body that he himself created for the specific purpose of representing him, displaying his character, and sharing his glory in this world. See, you can't just say a mere man. And when God himself takes on a human form takes on a human body to us, then it's, it's like the piano being played in all its glory. And that's what we have in Jesus. We see this, don't we, as Jesus continues. Uh, he says, uh, speaking in verse 36 about himself, you know, if humanity can be called godlike, and the doctrine of the image of God, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into this world? Jesus is saying, if humanity can be called that, what about me? I come from the Father. I come from God himself. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am the Son of God. You see, Jesus is, this, uh, is God come amongst us, taking on a human form, displaying the character and nature of God to us fully through a man. There is nothing illogical or irrational with that. It's just part of the doctrine of humanity, and part of our our Christology, that, that humanity is made in the image of God. And this is what Jesus does. When God comes to us, he comes to us as Christ, this man who is fully man, but is also fully God. And this is what we have in Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God come to us, taking on our flesh and blood and bringing it to its glory. I want to say praise God for that. (laughs) Praise God. This is our hope for the future. What is the hope for humanity? The hope for humanity is in Jesus. He is the one who perfects us. He is the one who brings us to our glory. He is the one who shows us what it really means to be human. And again, if you haven't read the gospel uh, an account of Jesus' life, I want to encourage you to do it. Now, why is it that God did this? Why is it that God came amongst us? Well, it, it, it's firstly because of the Son giving glory to the Father. As, as the Son of God takes on a human nature and comes, a, 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 comes a, among us, he lives in obedience to his Father and displays his love to his Father through his obedience as a man. That's the first thing. The the incarnation shows the love of the Son for the Father. The second thing that it shows is that God has come to save us, for us and for our salvation, as the creeds, uh, as we'll read about, says. You see, Jesus, when he came, was the sinless man. He's the man who, who lives the perfect human life, and he is sinless. And because he is sinless... He is able to bear your sin. You see, I can't bear your sin because I've got my own sins that I need to worry about, right? I've got my sins I need to worry about. You've got yours you need to worry about. But Jesus did not sin. He is free from sin. And that's part of the grounds for why he can take care of your sin. And the way he did this was when he died as our representative as the true human on the cross. He truly represents us because he is like us in every way. And as our true representative, he dies on the cross as the infinitely valuable son of God paying the ultimate price so that all of our sins can be taken away. This is great news, isn't it? Now again, if you don't know where you stand before God, if you're not sure whether or not God has forgiven your sins, I want to say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus because in Christ, God was saving us. In Christ, God came to us as a man and has dealt with our sins himself so that you can know that you are forgiven, so that you can know that you will stand in the presence of God. And this is what uh, uh, a Cornerstone we're on about. We're on about uh, being thankful to God for what he's done for us. And uh, today, again, if you're not a Christian, I want, you, I want to ask you to come and put your faith in Jesus, to, to, to stop, uh, you know, to, to not, going, not go your own way, but to come to God, put your faith in Christ and thank him for what he's done for us in Christ. Well, to finish up, I want to make a few points. The Psalms are indeed a book of devotion They are indeed a book of comfort and a book of praise, but aren't they a book of the deepest theology as well? They're an amazingly deep book. And I want to encourage you to grow in your Christian doctrine. I think one of the problems we can have living as Christians in the West is that we don't have a whole lot of time. We live busy lives and we tend to learn those aspects of our Christian life, that we have to. And so in our culture, what we have to learn about is gender. We have to learn about, you know, does God exist or why does God allow suffering? You know, the questions that our secular world asks us. Now, they're important questions, but the bigger questions in the Bible are, who is Jesus? That's actually a much bigger question, isn't it? Now, Our atheistic world, it doesn't ask us about that. And so I think as Christians, we may not do enough work on our doctrine of the incarnation as we should, because we're led by the pressures of the world around us, which I can understand. So I want to encourage you to do some deep thinking on your your Christology, on who Jesus is. I've got a couple of books here, and we're going to say the Creed in a moment. Uh, because I also think that we don't learn the creeds enough in today's world. So we're going to be showing the creed uh, in a moment. Um, there's a few books I'd like to recommend. There's For Us and For Our Salvation by Stephen Nichols. That's uh, a, quite a good book. In terms of more of a biblical theology uh, from Graham Cole, an Australian, The God Who Became Human in the Biblical Theological series. And then there's my booklet. Uh, which is called Is Jesus God? An Explanation of the Divinity and Humanity of Jesus for Christians and Muslims. And so that's much thinner and looks at it from slightly different angles, more looking at the big assumptions you need to have a look at and part of what I was doing today. And uh, that's online or it's it's up the back. So I want to encourage you uh, to, to be growing in your understanding of the Son of God. To finish up, though, I'd like us to say the creed together. So hopefully that's going to appear. It's the Nicene Creed. Do we have the Nicene Creed? No, we don't. Okay. Well, um, I think that that actually shows that we do. Now, hang on. I might even, let's see if I can quickly find it here. No, I'm afraid we're not going to finish with that. Have you got it here for us? I've just looked it up. It should be a live Okay. Um, I'm a little, little sad about that. I, I had requested it. Here, here we go. Excellent. Brilliant. Good. So, hopefully, you can read that. It's not the, the biggest point the font. So, I will step down here with you, and I'd like us to stand and say this historic creed together, and may it encourage you to think more about. These things. Okay, let's begin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father for all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He was in the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified under under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father.